Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Something about pictures and images that really captures our attention. This starts, of course, at very earliest age. When you read a story to a child, you read stories with lots of big, bright pictures. Keeps the kids engaged as you read the story. Perhaps as we grow old, we never really grow out of this. You hear a news report about a big event somewhere in the world. You want to see some pictures of what happened. Helps us gain a better understanding of what took place. This works well with things in creation. However, no matter how much we might gravitate towards images, this will not work when it comes to the Lord God. God as a creator is not part of this creation. He stands outside of it. Because of this, in order to worship him rightly, we cannot and may not make any images of him. This is what we learn about in the second commandment, which we are studying this afternoon. However, even though we may not make an image of God, that does not mean we cannot know him. No, we can know God. He's given us his word, scripture. His word, he gives us everything we need to know God about him. He's revealed himself so that we might truly know him, love him, and worship him. So this brings us to the sermon theme. The living God commands us not to make an image of him. First of all, we'll look at the danger in breaking the second commandment. Second of all, the blessing in keeping the second commandment. So Lord's Day 35 begins with this question, what does God require in the second commandment? We're not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. Sometimes we might wonder about the first commandment and the second commandment. Is there any real difference between them? Well, yes, there is a difference. The first commandment is about worshiping only the Lord. We must have no gods but him. And the second commandment is primarily about worshiping this God, the only God, in the right manner. We must not make an image of God in order to try worship the Lord through that image. Now, in the second commandment, as described in Exodus 20, the Lord says we're not to make a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above uh, or that is in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. It does not mean we're not allowed to make sculptures of, say, animals, for example. King Solomon had sculptures of lions in his very throne room. Exodus 20 goes on to say that we're not to bow down to images that are made or serve them. And that's the key point. We're not to worship the Lord through an image. Now, in other religions, people make images of their gods all the time. And the image is supposed to represent their God, or the God might even inhabit that image they have made. This was a temptation for Israel too. But all throughout Israel's history, God warned them against this. We saw some of that in Deuteronomy 4. The Lord reminded his people that some time ago they had stood at Mount Horeb. The Lord spoke to them out of the midst of the fire. They heard the sound of words, but they saw no form. It was only a voice. That's what God emphasizes in this passage. 
Because that was true, the Lord said, Watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you. Make a carved image, the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. You can see that the Lord takes this very seriously in his word. Why is this so important? Well, it's because of who God is. He's infinite. He's the majestic God. He's before all things. In Him, all things hold together. And any image of God is a serious distortion of who He is. Romans Romans 1, Romans chapter 1, describes it like this. God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So what it's saying is that we can see something of God's infinite power and majesty from creation. It shows God's power, it shows his divine nature. And, it, and it's, that's indeed true. When we look at creation, we can see it's amazing. It's amazing the world God has made. And when we look at the creation, we cannot help but stand in awe. And if creation does that to us, what does that say about the Creator? The one who made it all. It tells us He's so much worthy, more worthy of our awe. He's truly majestic and powerful and worthy of our worship. But what do people do? Well, Romans 1 says they suppress the truth about God in unrighteousness. People can see, wow, there's a God, he's amazing, but they suppress the truth about God. The thought of this glorious God is too much for sinful hearts. And so instead of repenting, they distort who God is by making images. Romans 1 says people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So it's purposely trying to distort who God is by making an image of Him. And it's robbing God of His glory. And in this respect, there's a close connection between the first commandment and the second commandment. When people do make an image of the Lord to worship God through that image, they do, in effect, start worshiping another God altogether. It's because the image who is supposed to represent the Lord cannot capture who God is. And worshiping that image, in effect, becomes worshiping an idol. Now, it's good for us to ask at this point, why do humans try to do this? What does it say about the human heart and our fallen condition? Why do people try to make an image of God? Well, we talked a little bit about that from Romans 1, but we could say some some more. So Romans 1 again tells us that people try to suppress the truth about God. If God can be captured in an image, he's not all that glorious. He's not a God you need to fear or honor or respect or worship. And that's what sinful human hearts want. And sinful humans also desire to put themselves over top of God. That's at the heart of our sinful nature too. That's what happens when God is reduced to an image. Suddenly humans have a God they can manipulate. 
A God they can stand above. A God that humans can control. And that's perhaps at the heart of this matter. Sinful humans, there's something in us that wants to control God. Bring Him down to our level. If you have an image of God, you can take that image wherever you want. It's as if you're forcing God to go with you. Perhaps then you can control His favor. That's precisely what Israel tried to do at times in their history. Think of a passage like 1 Samuel 4. They were battling the Philistines. They lost the first battle. So they came up with what they thought was a good idea. They brought the ark of God into the battle with them. And God said, yeah, he dwelt upon the cherubim on the ark. And Israel thought, well, we'll take the ark into battle. We are bringing God into this battle. And now we've ensured victory for ourselves. They were trying to control God. They thought they could manipulate the Lord. Well, they found out quite quickly it's impossible and it's sinful for humans to try to control the living God, stand over top of Him. He simply will not be forced to act by us. And a similar thing can be said about the golden calf in the book of Exodus. The people of Israel, they became impatient in waiting for the Lord. They did not like God's timing. So what did they do? They made a golden calf was supposed to represent the Lord. Now they thought they could serve the Lord how they wanted. God was in control. They didn't have to wait for Him anymore. They could just worship Him how they wanted. And God could serve their own ambitions, but God will not and cannot be manipulated in this way. Now, there are major problems that arise when humans try to worship the Lord like this. First of all, we can see from Scripture it provokes the Lord to anger. To make an image of God is to treat the infinite living God as someone you can control. Make serve your own ends. That's simply not devotion to the living God, Almighty God. It's not to worship the Lord with the fear, honor, and reverence that He deserves. The second problem is this. Distorted worship of God eventually leads to false worship altogether. You see this in Israel's history. Jeroboam set up the golden calves in Dan and Bethel. And a few generations later, what's Israel doing? They're worshiping Baal, another god altogether. That's also why there's a warning in the second commandment that God visits the sins of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Let me say a few things about those words in the second commandment. It's clear from God's word, from looking at life, that there are sins that can have consequences for future generations. If we turn away from God, we turn away from right worship of God, from his word, it's going to affect future generations. Because that's true, we must take care. We must all seek to know the Lord, to live for Him, to worship Him according to His Word, 
worship him in the right manner. And as we seek to be faithful to God, we must also have an eye not only for ourselves, but for those who come after us. Also, not only uh, our own families, but the whole church. We want to take care that the church is faithful through the generations. However, with that warning, we should also understand this. When God says that he visits the sins of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation... This does not mean that the children were somehow doomed if their father sinned. No. God could visit the children with his blessing if the children turned to the Lord. Think of Daniel from the book of of Daniel. He went through the exile into Babylon. In a sense, he was suffering the consequences of the sins of his forefathers. Or it does not mean that Daniel was under God's judgment. No. He was receiving the blessing of God even in exile. Well, there's another problem that arises when we make an image of God. Humans were made to reflect God's image, who he is. That was our created purpose. And we cannot get away from this. And if we create an image of God, we will be conformed to that distorted image. Scripture says that those who worship idols become like them. Think of Psalm 115. The idols of the nations are works of humans' hands, They have eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear. And we sang, those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Well, this first of all refers to the first commandment. We become like the idols we worship. If you are worshiping something other than the Lord, you will become like that idol and it will not be for your good. Those who worship blind and deaf idols become spiritually blind and death. Well, the same principle applies to the second commandment. We become like the object that we worship. Israel worshiped the golden calf at Horeb. What did the Lord say? His people were as stiff-necked as that calf that they worshiped. They became like that distorted image. And Romans 1 says that people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man. They exchanged God's glory for something else. So what happened to them? God gave them over to a debased mind. Human glory was turned into shame as humans who exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images like mortal man. They exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. They thought God was part of this creation And so they could not understand creation anymore. They could not understand it rightly. They became like the object they worshipped. So we must be on guard. Make sure we do not distort God's image. Finally, making an image of God turns God into a God that cannot really help you. A God who can be captured in an image is a God who cannot truly save. It's not a God you have a living relationship with. 
not a God who carries you in your troubles. When God is reduced to an image, suddenly humans need to carry around their God. And God then becomes a burden. But God is supposed to carry and sustain His people. He calls us to cast all our burdens upon Him, brings us to our next point. Now, the Lord wants us to keep the second commandment for our own good. And that's how it is with all of His commandments. They're for our good. Now, of course, we here might not be tempted to make a physical image of the Lord. I sincerely doubt any of you have a carved uh, image in your home that you bow down to. However, this commandment is all about not making a distorted picture of the Lord. And we can easily do this. We can easily make a distorted picture of God in our hearts and in our minds. It's probably the biggest temptation for us today. And this is why God wants us to be taught by His Word and everything in His Word that we might know Him. We see in Deuteronomy 4 that God is the speaking God. The living God wants His people to be taught by means of His living Word. And as we study God's Word, one reason why we study it is to know our God rightly. The Bible is God's revelation of Himself. It's where we learn about God. See, the temptation for us is always to shape our understanding of God by the thinking that arises from our own hearts. We might then easily forget about or ignore some of God's attributes, perhaps because we do not like them. Instead, we study God's Word and we submit to what God says about Himself and His Word and conform our thinking to God's revelation. That's the goal. So our hearts will quickly go astray. So that's why we are continually reading God's Word, seeing how God has revealed Himself in that Word. And as we do this, we'll come to glorify God rightly. Learn to stand under Him. We'll learn to be humble and let God be God. In Isaiah 66, the Lord says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So as we stand underneath God's word and accept God's revelation of himself, we'll come to truly know the Lord. That's what Israel failed to do at the golden calf. With the golden calf, they showed that they did not truly know the Lord. And that was nearly dis- disastrous for them. And it's just as important for us to know the Lord. What does Christ say in John 17? This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know God, to know Jesus Christ. In fact, we come to know God, especially through Jesus Christ. Christ as God's only begotten Son is the perfect image of God. Hebrews 1 says that the Son is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word 
of his power. And Colossians 1 says that in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives bodily. Jesus Christ is true God. And this means we gain a right understanding of who God is by studying Jesus Christ as well in the Gospels. See what God is like. See that he's a God who saves. Christ Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came to this earth to save us. We see who our God is through the cross. Come to see that God is just. Could not leave our sins unpunished, but has punished them in the sacrifice of his Son. Come to see, ultimately, God is gracious and loving. God the Father gave up his only Son to save us. God the Son came to rescue us from punishment. Come to see that God is a God who serves. Christ Jesus served us in love. And as we come to know God rightly through his word, through Jesus Christ, we'll also become like him then we will come to reflect God's image rightly. Remember, you will be conformed to the image of God. If humans make their own image of God, they'll be conformed to that distorted image. The more we truly know the one and only God, the more we'll be conformed to His image. And Christ showed us who God is. The more we are conformed to the image of Christ, the more we will be conformed to God's image. That's the goal. We'll be transformed into the people we were always meant to be. We'll become more righteous as He is righteous, holy as He is holy, loving as He is loving, just as He is just, gracious as He is gracious. And when we come to know God rightly through His Word, we come to see that God is bigger than our problems, too. The Lord says in Isaiah 40, To whom then will you compare God? Or what, what likeness compares with him? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it to set up an idol that will not move. In other words, God is not like anything else in creation. You cannot turn him, to an, him into an image. But the Lord is the God we need. A God who's captured in an image will fail us. But the Lord goes on in Isaiah 40, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This is the living God. This is the God we need in a broken world. This is our God. The living God who's bigger than any problems you might face in life and can help you. This God is our loving shepherd. We do not lead him, he leads us. He leads us in paths of righteousness. Wherever he leads us, we do not fear, for he is with us always. Amen.